Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. So we are in our final chapter of Jonah. I don't want to say it's our final week because I've got this kind of running list of fun facts slash things that I think are important to point out about the book of Jonah that we haven't really talked about. And a lot of them actually have to do with uh, kind of this sense of nationalism that Jonah has. And so I'm thinking that next week we're going to have kind of a, uh, since it is the 4th of July, we're going to have kind of a themed message that is a little bit different than what we've done before that kind of just goes through and looks at some of the things that we've skipped over because of time or it didn't flow right throughout the book. So um, I don't have a full message prepared for that yet. So we'll see what happens with it. But I'm thinking that next week is going to be our last week in Jonah. So I'm not going to say our last week, but definitely our last chapter in the book of Jonah. And I'm uh, I'm excited to, to, to kind of unpack this because it's one that I think we don't talk about much. It's not in the children's books. It's not in the veggie tale. We don't talk about this strange plant, worm, and wind that God kind of pulls up out of nowhere. And so I'm, I'm really excited to unpack it. So if we kind of go back to last week, I did a full recap last week. So if you weren't here for that, you can go online and listen to that. But if we just go back one week to last week, we saw that the Ninevites heard this five-word message from Jonah that told them that they better, uh, that because of their evil ways, they were going to be overthrown. Some versions might say overturn. And then the uh, this five-word message in Hebrew that Jonah preaches has this incredible impact. And it spreads like wildfire, reaches the king. The whole city repents, including the animals, like their pets, the cows, the horse. They all repent, right? So there's kind of this comical side that everybody, even the livestock, turns from their old ways, turns from their evil, violent ways. And so if the story ends there we've got a happy ending, right? Like, yay, Jonah, you had this, you know, that like every good movie where you were kind of like at the at bottom, rock bottom in this well, and you kind of had went through this transformation process, and when you came out on the other side, you listened and obeyed, and God worked, but the story doesn't end there. Because when we go into chapter four, what does the very first verse say? But it displeased Jonah 
exceedingly. Like, hold up. So, so people, these violent people, these people that have literally tormented Jonah's people have turned, they've changed their ways and Jonah is mad about it. Like, that doesn't make sense. He says he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord kind of asked them this like hard-hitting question. He says, well, is it right for you to be angry? And, and so before we kind of get there and, and God asking this question, I kind of want to take a second to address something that I think is extremely relevant for our date and time. And that's this fact that Jonah went on this mission. He was obviously extremely gifted. Right? Like he has this gift, like all he did was say five Hebrew words. An entire city is transformed. Like there's this huge gifting that Jonah has. But while Jonah has a great gifting, he does not have great character. Jonah had a great ministry, but he didn't have a great character. And, and here's why I think this is relevant. I, this is kind of a, a trend. I don't know if you guys pay attention to a lot of the church world, but there's been a season of what has been called CEO pastors. And there's these pastors of these big, really large churches, and they kind of are extremely gifted in leadership, extremely gifted in preaching, and extremely gifted in running these huge organizations that are making incredible differences in their cities and their states and even all over the world. But what's happened is a lot of times, especially because of the internet, that these pastors who are extremely gifted end up being propelled beyond their character. And I think I can note that Lauren and I, we actually went to one of these churches for about a year while we were in college. And we saw a pastor who got to the point where I don't know him personally. I don't want to speak into his character or I don't want to speak too much into what was happening. But we saw firsthand a pastor that was leading a extremely, one of the fastest growing churches in the world and um, was doing incredible things in our area, but eventually fell into alcoholism and was asked to step down. And there's a, a lot of drama around that. And, and there, literally there were people that I were working with who were, hurt by this, who are stepping not just away from the church, but away from the faith in general. And this kind of made me, and you know, there's a, the, the common phrase now is deconstructing of faith. Well, I kind of had a deconstruction of ministry philosophy throughout the last maybe year and a half or so, and kind of what it looks like to, to be the church. And it made me kind of go back and look at some of the teachings and things that I followed, especially when I was in college and fresh out of college. And this particular church actually would have these huge conferences every year where thousands of pastors would come in and hear these incredible speakers give the best messages I've ever heard, like convicting, powerful, moving, emotional, full of information, like just great messages. And so I went back and I just looked at the lineup of speakers for one of these conferences. One of them, one of them is still in ministry. The rest of them have had moral failure, 
or have been overwhelmed with ministry and had to uh, get burnt out and just stepped aside. And then there's even this guy, a couple of them weren't at these conferences, but I've seen pastors who have taken their own life. And there's this sense of being successful beyond character. And while this is the church world and it's something that I see and I've noticed, there's no doubt whatever field you're in, whether it's construction or electrician or education, no matter where you're at, no matter what field you're in, there's a a sense of people who are are gifted beyond character. I've had numerous conversations with people who have... uh, had moral failures while being extremely successful in a field outside of the church. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about church example here, but it's everywhere. And there's a sense of how we define success. It's a lot of times in, in the amount of money that we make or the amount of people that we influence or the size of our business. Or, there's all these huge things. There's all these outside, I guess, fruit that comes from being gifted and talented that has nothing to do with character. And that's how we define success. So when we look at this part of Jonah, it's easy to stop at chapter 3 and say, Jonah has been successful. But while Jonah has been successful, if we keep reading, we learn that God is not really concerned with Jonah's successful ministry. He's concerned with Jonah's character. And Jonah gets to this point where he sees Nineveh beginning to turn, and he decides he's going to walk out walk out of the city, and he, he has this prayer with God. And he kind of, he's angry with God. He says, look, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were loving. I knew you were just. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were all these things, and that's why I didn't want to come. I hate the Ninevites so much, I don't want to see them turn. And it's so ironic because, because if the Ninevites, if they turn from their ways, they're less violent towards Jonah and his people. But he knows that when they turn from their ways, they're responding to Yahweh, and he doesn't want to see that happen. He wants to see them overthrown. He wants to see them in torment. He wants to see them destroyed. So he calls out to God, and God responds with, do you have this right to be angry? And how do, what does Jonah say back to God? Go back to verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade so, till he should see what would become of the city. Jonah gives God the hand. <laughs> Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Deuces, right? He doesn't even respond to God. He goes out and he he creates this little place out on a hill so that he can look out. I think about the, uh, if you've spent time on the internet and there can be some battles in the comment section. And so there's some people who are like, man, I'm here for the drama. And there's this picture of Michael Jackson eating some popcorn, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? So Jonah is up on the hill like Michael Jackson eating the popcorn, waiting to see what happens to Nineveh. He's got this hope that they will still be destroyed. There's this sense of Jonah's character so flawed that he refuses to listen to God, refuses to respond to God, goes out, builds this booth and says, I'm going to see see what happened. He's waiting for the destruction of Nineveh. 
And there's this sense where we get to this place where we're like, Jonah, you are so (laughs) silly, right? Like he's fuming mad. He wants to see evil happen to them. And we're like, Jonah, how could you be like this? Like when we're reading the book, that's what rises up in us. But if we go back to week one, we realize that this book is not really about Jonah. It's not really about the Ninevites. It's about God's character and and the character of his people. And we're looking at this and we say, you know what? Maybe I'm more like Jonah than I want to admit. We're almost laughing at Jonah's response while he is mad. But the truth is, if we think about it, and we begin to really let the Holy Spirit search our heart, we may not say these words like, God, I'm so mad at you for being gracious towards them. But there are thoughts and there are actions that happen inside of us that communicate the very same thing. Uh, Tim Mackey, he calls this the dark side of God's grace. The sense of where God's grace is great for us, but it's also great for our enemies. And, and you know, it might be for us, it might be something kind of silly. Like this has happened to me a couple times in the recent past where I've been in a line for one time. It was after Addie Lee was sick. And so we were uh, going to Dairy Queen, right? You know, you got to get some ice cream, right? So we're in, we're in line for Dairy Queen, and uh, it's pretty backed up, and the car's coming in from the other direction, and they cut in in front of me. And I'm like, I'm not having this, right? Like, hey. <laughs> so I get up, and I'm almost hitting them. I'm real close, real close, and they're saying some words to me, and, and eventually they get in front of me, and I'm mad. Like, I do not want to see God show them any grace, right? And that's something kind of silly, but then it happens again later, and I'm at Starbucks, and there's this clear sign that says go around the building to get in line and I go around the building to get in line and there's another car that decides they're not going to go around the building and they try to get in front of me and I was not having it and I heard some choice words come from them right <laughs> and their sense of like this is what you get that's what you deserve this happened to me once before it's not happened again right and there, there's this kind of a silly aspect like like that's kind of lighthearted like I don't I don't want to see God show them grace but I kind of do it's kind of lighthearted but the truth is there's a lot more serious issues in our lives where people even enemies people that we not just don't like but actually have hatred in our heart for that God's grace is even for them. Um, a recent story in past, this is a lot more serious than a drive through line, but um, a gentleman named, I think it's pronounced Brent Jean. Um, if you followed the story, this happened, I think it was like a, a year or so ago, but his brother was actually shot by a police officer. So the lady went in and she said that she accidentally walked into their own apartment and she walked in and she saw him sitting there eating ice cream and shot and killed him. She was actually convicted and she got 10 years in prison. And when the, she was at her sentencing, Brent went to uh, kind of give, they give the family time to kind of speak to the judge and speak to the person who's given the sentencing so that the um, convicted person can have greater time, less time, whatever it may be. And so Brent gets up there and I encourage you to go online if you haven't seen it already. And he has this like holding back tears, but heartfelt words for this lady. And he's like, I want you to know that I forgive you and I want the best for you. And I I believe that the best for you is to give your life to Christ. He's like, I don't know that I would, I wasn't even going to say this when I'm up here, but I don't even want to see you go to jail. He's like, I literally want the best for you. And it's this really moving moment and it went extremely viral. He got um, several awards and there was lots of praise and there was lots of just like, this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what it's like to be a Christian. But there's a dark side of grace because while he received lots of support, encouragement, and praise, 
he also received lots of backlash. Like, how could you do that? You guys, I mean, there's no secret that there, especially throughout the pandemic, there's a lot of racial tension. And you've got this African-American who is offering forgiveness to a police officer who shot and killed his brother. Like, you guys know that tension. And there are all kinds of people saying, how this, you have betrayed our people. You have betrayed your family. He got hate mail. There was lots of hate towards him because he offered forgiveness to the enemy. And there's this sense in each one of us that, that we might not have been through this same situation where we've forgotten somebody who's killed or shot our family member, but there are times in our lives where we have hate and disdain and dislike for somebody, and we don't want to see God's grace toward them. And God is saying, is it right for you to be angry? And we want to respond like Jonah, where we turn and walk the other way, where we leave this city, we give God the hand, and refuse to listen or respond. So Jonah walks up and he, he sits on this hill and there's this interesting point because there's this sense of where Jonah's on the hill, he's eating the popcorn like Michael Jackson, watching Nineveh, right? He wants to see what happens to them. And this is kind of fun. We talked about this a little bit last week and this is just some kind of, uh, I guess, Bible f- knowledge for you. But Jonah, when he uh, preaches his message to Nineveh, he says, in 40 days, you will be overthrown. Some versions say overturned. But the word here has got like this dual meaning, kind of like a, I grew up and I know that language is ever changing and I'm old enough now where my language is not cool, um, which is kind of heartbreaking. I can't believe I'm that old. But like when I, growing up, I can remember my parents and older generation saying, what do you mean that is sick, right? Like I would say, man, that is sick. And it can either mean like that is really awesome and that is really cool or that's really gross, right? Like context is everything. So there's this word when growing up sick was like, what do you mean by sick? That doesn't make sense. Sick means it should be gross. I'm like, yes, sometimes it does, but sometimes it means it's awesome, right? So there's this sense of like sick is this dual meaning depending on context. Well, this word here that Jonah uses is the same way. It's a Hebrew word that has this dual meaning. We can look even just throughout the Bible, and there's a, a, a time where it's used in Hosea where it says you're, that, that overturned word is like, he says God, your people are like baked bread that is not overturned. So uh, think about, have you ever toasted bread in the oven? Like Lauren's family does this a lot. It actually is really good if you like butter it and you put it in a pan and you toast it in the oven. But if you uh, don't watch it like a hawk, <laughs> it goes from zero to real burnt real fast. And so especially if you're one of those that like to toast both sides and you flip it. So this is like, if you don't flip the bread, you're not watching. It's like baked bread that's not overturned. It's ruined, right? So there's this negative sense of like, if it's not overturned, it's ruined. There's other times where we see cities that are overturned, they're destroyed, they're ruined. But then that same word is also used in the Bible where it says, you have turned my grief to joy. My grief has been overturned to joy. It's got this positive sense. So it's got this dual meaning. So think about Jonah has been told by God to go preach against the violence of Nineveh. How do you think Jonah meant the word in his message? Right? The negative one. Like 40 days, no matter what you do, you're going to be overturned. How do you think God meant it? The positive one, right? 40 days, you're going to be overturned. Turned. You're going to be. You're. You're going to change your ways. So there's this sense of of Jonah's still got this hope that like I got this message from God. Maybe, just maybe, it's the negative sense of the word. So he's up on the hill. He's watching and he's waiting. 
Well, God's already asked him, do you have a right to be angry? And it says Jonah's up on the, <laughs> out of the city and this sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. I'm, back at, I'm picking up at verse six here. And it says, now the Lord appointed a plan. Remember this theme's going all throughout Jonah. He appointed the wind, he appointed the whale, he appointed the storm. Now he's appointed a plan. And he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. He's super happy. He's pumped about this random plant that has grown up overnight. And when the sun rose, God appointed, no, but then dawn came up the next day and God appointed, and we see him appointing something else, a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked once again that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. So first I want to kind of unpack this a little bit. You see this plant that rises up and it makes Jonah extremely happy. Now, um, there have been arguments to made of like, what kind of plant is this? We don't really know what kind of plant it is, but I can tell you it's not the kind of plant that you're thinking about that grows up and can make you really happy. It's not that kind of plant, all right? It's not that kind of plant because it grows up and then it withers and that kind of plant wouldn't grow in the desert anyway. Okay, so it was not that kind of plant, but this plant grows up and makes Jonah happy. He's sitting under the shade. He's like, okay, God is for this, right? He's for me sitting here chilling, watching Nineveh be destroyed. He's provided that there's this plant. This is great news. Then a worm comes up and he begins to eat the plant and it withers and dies. And so now he doesn't have the shade anymore. Plus God brings up this wind and the sun and he's so faint. He's so hot. He thinks he's going to faint. This is like, I don't know if you've ever been there, but that is a terrible place to be. I, uh, I have memory of my brother's wedding and it was really hot. I actually had not had any food that day. I was like, I had some breakfast. I didn't have any lunch. And this is like late afternoon. So I'm like hungry, not a lot of energy. Also in front of a lot of people. And it's in this building that there's like not a lot of air circulating. So it's really hot. And there's these huge glass windows so that you have this beautiful view of, of uh, Piedmont Park and the city. And it's just like this beautiful setting. But it's also a great place for the sun to be magnified. And so I'm up in front of everybody I have to read some scripture and like I look back at these pictures and I hate it because I'm sweating so much my hair's like curled up on the end and like but I can remember just I was standing there as the best man in this wedding and it's being like don't pass out don't pass out don't pass out. Just saying that over and over again because I was so hot, so faint, no energy, literally could feel myself shaking. I'm like, don't pass out. I'm not going to ruin this day. This is not going to be me. Right? So like I can put myself here and not like, like I know that that feeling of desperate need of hydration, desperate need of air conditioning, desperate need of of shade. So Jonah's here. He's so hot and he thinks he's going to faint. And so you've got this, this story unpacking. God, is, is, he kind of creates this situation again. And then at the end of all of that, Jonah is so mad. Once again, he says, I want to die. For the third time, the fourth, he says this four times in the book. And the third time in this chapter, he says, I want to die. And God looks at him and he says, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? He says that same phrase again that Jonah ignored him the first time around. Verse 9, it says, But God said to Jonah, 
do you do well to be angry for the plant? Are you, is it okay for you to be this mad about this plant? You ignored me when, that, when you, you gave me this long rant and you made me listen to you and then you wouldn't listen to me when I asked you if you had right to be angry. Now I'm asking you if you have a right to be angry about this plant. And Jonah's like, yeah, angry enough to die is what he said to the Lord. I'm angry enough to die. And the Lord looks back at him and says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow, which it it came into being in night and perished in the night. And so he's he's, he's kind of unpacking this plant and the situation to Jonah. He says, and should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? Like, should I not care about these people and their cows? <laughs> like, there's that humor coming in again, right? So, so he's looking at Jonah. He's like, you care so, you're so emotional about this plant that you did nothing for. You didn't plant the seed. You didn't water it. You didn't labor over this plant. It literally popped up overnight and then it died overnight. And you were so emotionally distraught that you literally have asked to die over this plant. God's like, shouldn't I be allowed to care about this city? How much more important? is this city of 120,000 people this, and their cows. Like, they, they don't even know their right hand from their left hand. Like, they, and, and then this isn't like, a, he's not calling them dumb. Like the, they, we know that this is the Assyrian people. They're actually incredibly intelligent, right? That makes me think of, uh, I saw a tattoo online res- recently where someone actually had an L tattooed on their hand because you guys ever do the right from left thing? You know, the left is the left. I can literally remember being at, like in football and knowing that, even plays would go to the right and odd plays would go to the left. So I'd hear the odd number and I literally would make an L with my hand every time before I got down. <laughs> like, like literally, like, like I know my right from my left, I write with my right hand, but there's just this sense of always making that L and always knowing which side is the left. So this person actually went and they tattooed an L on that hand so they don't even have to make the shape anymore. They know this is my left, right? So it's, it's not, he's not calling them dumb. It's not like they don't really know their right from their left. He's saying that they're, they're morally misguided. Right? When you look at their actions, they turn to violence and anger and evil to get what they want. And God is saying they don't even know what is morally right from their left. And I'm looking at them and I created them just like I created you. And I have compassion on them just like I have compassion on them, on you. Yet you're so angry, but you felt like you felt that emotional attachment to this dumb plant. Why can't I feel that way about my very own creation? That a people are just like you. There's this, this convicting question that he brings on Jonah. He's like, Jonah, why can't I care for these people like you have cared for that plant? And how does Jonah respond? We don't know. The last, the last word of this book is cows. <laughs> like really, that's what the last word of this book, it's cows. We don't know how Jonah responds. But the book is meant to make us sit down and reflect on our own heart and say, when I'm in this situation like Brent, or when I'm in this situation like I'm me in the drive-thru line, or whatever it is in your life where you see somebody that has caused you aggravation, pain, suffering, bitterness, are you willing to say it's okay to put my needs aside for them to know God? for them to know the compassion and grace of God. Walter Wink kind of says it like this. 
and this is a paraphrase, but it says that there's this sense in the book of Jonah where we see the gift of the enemy, the gift of the enemy, to see this aspect of ourselves that we cannot see any other way. Our friends seldom show us our flaws. That's why they're our friends, right? Like we get along with them. The enemy is not just someone to hurdle over on our way to God, but instead they might actually be the way to God. We've talked about sanctification before. And sometimes one of the greatest ways that we can be made holy and more like Christ is actually to be in relationship with our enemy, not to try to get around them or over them. We can't come to terms with our own inner shadows except through our enemies. Our enemies see things in us that we are blind to, that our friends are blind to, our, soul, our uh, spouses are blind to, but our enemies see those flaws. And so there's this sense of when we look at the book of Jonah, we see that, that he's there sulking in the desert. We don't know how he responds to God's question, but we can ask ourselves, how do we respond? When we look at our enemy, are we willing to show them love? Are we willing to show them compassion? Or is it our desire that they would know God the way that we know God? And so here's kind of the challenge. And here, here's the challenge that, that I hope, that I really encourage you to do this week. As we kind of have wrapped up the book of Jonah, we think about even the, the first message and this message and the, the way they tie together and the fact that this book over and over again is about loving those who are different, loving those who we don't like, lo- having compassion on our enemy. There's kind of this, and this comes from Walter Wink too, but there's kind of this challenge that he issues that I'll, I kind of want us to do. And I want you sometime this week to sit down with Jonah 4, to just read Jonah 4 two or three times. It's not very long. We've already read through the whole thing this morning. And I want you to write down one name, the name of maybe someone who just really gets on your nerves. Write down the one person that you, you hate, and I know that's a strong word, so maybe even the person that you harbor bitterness towards, someone that, you, that, that just gets under your skin when you just think about them. And I want you to write down every character trait that they have that you hate. Now, I know that at that point, it's like, okay, I can, get, I can get behind this, right? Like, oh man, they're lazy, they're pushy, they're arrogant. They're all these things, right? That, that they're neglectful. I just, they, they smell bad, whatever it is. Like, you write down all the character traits that you can't stand about that person. And once you have all that down on paper, their name and all these, tra- these traits, you get all that out there, I want you to stop, put down the pen or the pencil, get a step away from the keyboard if you're typing it down, and I want you to genuinely pray and ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Recognize in that moment that you are in the presence of God. Ask him to search you, and I want you to go through each line one by one And honestly ask yourself, have I ever displayed this same kind of behavior? Because you know what? It's easy for me to say, I don't like this and this and this. But you have to decide, are you going to be like Jonah or not? Are you going to say, oh, I've never been selfish. I've never been arrogant. I've never been pushy. I've never been manipulative. I've never been overly sensitive. I've never been short-tempered or lazy. Or are you going to say, you know what? Man, I know that I've been like this. I know that I've been like this. 
Uh, I, you know, this isn't a, a common trait of mine, but I can remember specifically that one time where I did this. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that those traits that get on your nerves, you'll look at yourself and you'll know, man, you know what? I've been there too. Because the first step toward loving your enemy is realizing this common fallenness of humanity. And I'm not saying you have to get along with each and every person that there's been a broken relationship with, but the, the, the steps towards forgiveness and reconciliation start with recognizing that you are a fallen person too. God calls us over and over again to love our enemy. And that is not easy. Because let's be honest, the same way we talked about the gift of the enemy, the same way that our enemy can see our flaws, we know each and every one of theirs. But God calls us to love them anyway. This all points to Jesus. Romans tells us that yet while we were still sinners, yet while we were still an enemy of God, he stepped down out of heaven and he paid the penalty He paid the price to reconcile us with our heavenly father. Jesus did that for us. When we love our enemy, we are just being like Jesus. That's the call. That's the call of Jonah. This book predates Jesus for for all these years, but Jonah is sitting there and it's this picture of who Jesus was supposed to, of who Jesus is. Think about it. Jonah is in the well for three days. Jesus is dead for three days. Jonah, when he's in the when he's in the 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 belly of the boat before he goes to the belly of the fish, what he, he there's this storm raging around him, right? The storm is just crashing all around him, and he, what does he do? He he calms the storm by throwing himself overboard. He says, "Yeah, I can fix this. Throw me overboard." Fast forward, and I think it's Mark. Jesus is in the belly of a boat. He's asleep, just like Jonah. The image is is, is the same. And the, the storm is raging around them. And, and they go to them and they say, you know what? Jesus, how do you rest like this? There's this storm around us. And what does Jesus do? He simply speaks and the water is calm. While Jonah, it points to this sacrifice of who Jesus is. Jesus takes on the wrath of God by himself. He has the authority of God to forgive sins because of the price he's gonna pay on the cross. Jonah has to throw himself overboard. Jesus gave himself For us, loving our enemy is being the hands and feet of Jesus to our enemy. It's all throughout the scripture. (laughs) Thinking about the Good Samaritan and who is your neighbor. It's the enemy, right? The people that Jesus is talking to, they hated the Samaritans. Love your neighbor is this pointing to loving your enemy. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone to push our pride aside and see the broken vulnerability of the people we dislike and go and love them anyway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. And we're so thankful that you've shown that grace and that mercy to us. But Lord, we try really hard I can't say we always get it right, but we want to even see that grace and that mercy on those we don't like. We want to see your love transform them. We want to see your love change them. Have mercy on those we don't like. Have mercy on our enemy the same way you've had mercy on us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.